You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Thanks for the uh, amazing welcome and just feel so at home here. Love, um, love this church already and only, only been a couple of times, but um, it's great. And if you want to grow in the Lord uh, and you're not thoroughly in with this church, get in. Get in and see if God doesn't bless you. I tell you, if you've just come and you're on the edges at the moment, throw yourself into this church. Join a small group. Get involved in the mission. Be the person who gets the shovel for three hours on a Saturday because you love people and you want to hear about Jesus. And I'm telling you, in a year's time, you won't recognize yourself. Honestly, I've seen it time and time again. The beautiful thing, when God gets hold of a life and they go from black and white to color and they look back and they're like, how did that even happen? Look at my family. Look at my finances. Look at what's going on around me. I'm just sort of living by this book and everything's changing. And that can be you and, and God wants it to be you. He's for you. He's not against you. So we're going to get in the Bible in a sec together. But can I just mention our stand at the back? We desperately rely on God's people to pray for us, especially a time like this. I don't know whether there's ever been a week when so many schools in Coventry in one hit are going to be visited and it's not like we're doing one class and two. It's like the whole school pretty much is hearing the good news relevant from amazing people like Soulbox and, and these fiery young guys who just know how to communicate relevantly, sensitively, and then invite kids. And it could well be that this weekend, more people who don't know Jesus are going to pass through this building than ever in its history. You know, two Because we're going to have two nights and almost certainly you know, 90% of the people in this building will, will have come because they've heard something and they, they like the band, but... They don't know Jesus, but they're going to leave transformed. Can we pray that? We're not going for decisions. We're going for disciples. And every young person who makes a decision for Christ will be thoroughly encouraged to engage with the life of churches and, uh, and get involved in a small group where they can be followed up, a, a higher follow-up course. They'll also all get a Bible. One of my greatest privileges is, uh, in fact, you saw it in the video, handing a young person who's just given the life to Jesus, the whole Bible. And it's a, a relevant Bible with all sorts of explanatory notes and little tabs to get around it. You know, at the Queen's coronation 60 years ago, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury knelt down, 60 plus years ago, isn't it now, knelt down and gave her a silver Bible. And he said, Your Majesty, here it is, the most precious thing this life affords, the lively oracles of God. And you know, with my whole heart, I believe this. This is the most precious thing in the world. And if your name's Elizabeth Windsor, you know, you've got a few precious things, haven't you? You've got quite a nice jewellery collection. You've got a few Bentleys, haven't you? And the odd smart racehorse. And you've got a few country estates. And, and you know, you're not, you're not short of the things of this world. But actually, the most precious thing Queen Elizabeth owns is this book. It's the living word of God. And it can speak to you. And I just, I want your expectation to rise that even as we look into the Bible together in a minute, that God will speak to you. Almighty God will speak right into your situation. So we've been praying that would happen. And it happened in the first service in one or two really cool ways as people gave their life to Jesus and, and passion was reignited. And it's just great. We want more of that. 
When you go to the stand at the back, will you please look at these resources? I don't keep any of the money from these books. I write these books, and of course, I want to get them out there. Every penny's plowed back into the mission of the message. But I have written two books in the last four years, because for four years, we've been journeying through the book of Isaiah in our own teen times. And then... Um, after two years, halfway through Isaiah, I wrote this book, Here I Am, Send Me. And then more recently, I wrote this book, Here I Am, Seek Me. It's lots of teaching from the spectacular book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, but also some God-only testimonies. If you want your faith building, you want to be encouraged, just read the stories of transformed lives who are, are multiplying out and are working with us at The Message. You'll love that, I think. Uh, but if you've only got one fiver, and they're all a five of these books, buy this book, please. It's uh, called Being the Message. It's, I haven't written, I've written a few chapters. I haven't written most of this. Our leadership team's written it. And um, on a really bizarre thing happened last week. The message went to this swanky awards ceremony, you know, the Sunday Times top charities. And we were thrilled to be voted in the top 100 charities. So there were 1,200 people, the good and the great of the charity sector, all these massive national charities and the Scruffy Message Trust from Manchester. And the amazing thing is, we went and won it. We won the award for the best UK charity, Sunday Times. There we go. And uh, just a remarkable God thing. But how does that happen? How does that even happen? How do you go from, you know, a one-man band having a go for Jesus to being this global movement we are today? And we have grown faster than pretty much any charity in that time, even though in some ways we don't know what we're doing. Is there anything we have done? Because God's favor rests on this thing, and it's, it's humbling to see the hundreds of thousands of lives that are being touched. But yeah, I think there is. And I think some of it's in this book. It's about keeping prayer hot. Keeping mission hot. It's about loving the poor and the marginalized and never forgetting the poorest of the poor. It's about not taking yourself too seriously and living in the opposite spirit when people do attack you. And, and it's about passion, keeping passion on a bunch of other things. Faith for finances. There's a whole lot of stuff we've done, I think, and loads of mistakes we've made that other, we don't want other people to make. It's called Being the Message, and I'm really chuffed with this book, actually. So it's all available at the back there before you leave. And please sign up for our mailing list so you can keep that prayer fuel going. It's all there at the back. So, okay. If, you've got, if you have got a Bible or you've got a Bible on your phone or something, um, put it on airplane mode so your mate aren't texting you and emailing you all through the service. And, and open up Mark chapter 10 if you've got a Bible, uh, which is where we're going to be looking. I love the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it's the shortest and fastest. It feels like a gospel in a hurry. It's an exciting. If you read Mark's gospel, you'll see there's lots of immediately's and suddenly's and things are happening swiftly. And um, out of all the books in the Bible, it's probably my favorite. And that's saying something, isn't it? Because the Bible's got 66 amazing books. It's all good for us. I remember being taught as a, as a brand new Christian, some of the Bible, it's all, Bible's all good for you. You need a, a balanced diet. You do need Old and New Testament. But some of the Bible is hard work. You know, some of the Bible's a bit more like sprouts and cabbage. You know, and other bits of the Bible are a bit more you like champagne and strawberries and chocolate cheesecake or whatever you like, you know. A bit more exciting. Well, Mark's gospel is like the most exciting bit, I think. And in Mark chapter 10, there's this fascinating chapter where twice um, Jesus has encounters with people and he asks them an absolutely vital question. And I believe it's a question actually 2,000 years later that God's asking a few hundred people in Coventry in this church. 
He says to, to two brothers and then to a, a guy on the street a little bit later on, he says, what do you want me to do for you? You know, the Lord of glory kind of gives him a blank check. <laughs> he says, what do you want me to do for you? Imagine if Jesus said that to you. What do you want me to do for you? I mean, how would you answer that question? The first two people he asked that question to get it spectacularly wrong. And then the second guy gets it amazingly right. And there's a, a completely different response from Jesus. See, some lives undoubtedly experience the fog, the favor of God. It rests on their lives. Anybody watch Billy Graham's funeral this week? Wow. Or anybody see any of the stuff around Billy Graham? There's a life, 99 years old, a life upon which the favor of God rested. You know, millions and millions and millions come to Christ. You know, people on our team, everywhere I go, I meet people who say, I came to Christ through Billy Graham's ministry. Some lives just have that stamp of the favor of God. There are other lives where the fog's lifted, to be honest. They're still going to heaven, but they're pretty miserable on the way there. They're certainly missing out on so much that God's got for them. Because God, when God, when you were saved, God didn't just save you the day you gave your life to Christ. Yes, he did. The greatest gift in the world, the greatest miracle is salvation. But he also gave you good works planned in advance to do. And some of us pour out those good works on a needy world. Other of us get wrapped up in our own little world. And I think the key to living in thick fog is in this chapter. The first two guys should have known better, really. In Mark chapter 10, you can read about them in verse 36. They're called James and John. The two brothers who were part of the disciples, the inner circle of 12, these young guys. It was believed that John was only about 14 when he was called to follow Jesus. And they were called into his inner circle. And they'd spent two years journeying with him. They'd heard all the teaching. They'd seen the miracles. They'd even got to play themselves. They'd seen, they, they, with their very hands in the name of Jesus, they'd seen miracles. They'd preached the gospel. And Jesus comes up to these two young men in verse 36 of Mark chapter 10. And he says, boys, what do you want me to do for you? You know how the answer could one of us be at your right and one of us be at your left when you come in your kingdom? We want the glory seats, in other words. Stuff those other ten. We want to be the number one boys. We want the profile. We want the respect. We want everyone looking to us. We want the best seats. And you know, Jesus says to them, no, that's just not the way it is in the kingdom. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, does anybody want to be great in the kingdom? Does anybody want to be great in the kingdom? We should want to be great in the kingdom. We should want to see God do great things through very ordinary lives, fully surrendered to him. I want to be great. I want to do great things for Jesus. And you should too if you're a believer. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to be servant of all. You need to take up the place of a servant. That's how it works. As we serve others and serve Jesus and serve his purposes and move forward with humility, at the right time, he lifts us up and gives us all the profile we need if we need it to fulfill his purposes. So James and John got it spectacularly wrong. And then to make matters worse, the other 10, the other 10 disciples heard about their request. You know, these clowns who said, we want to be here and we want to be here. 
And the Bible says, they were indignant in the next verse. The other 10 were indignant. In other words, they took offense about these other people jostling for position and trying to push them back. John Bevere wrote a book about offense. You know what he called it? I've not even read the book. I don't know whether the book's good or not. It probably is good. But the title's amazing. Because he called the book, The Bait of Satan. Offense is like a hook that gets in your mouth and pulls you away from God. And I felt as I came to this church this morning, there's every chance there's some people who are living with that hook well and truly in their mouth, pulling them away from God. Lack of forgiveness, offense. And in some ways, you may have every right to be offended towards that person. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe they've broken your heart. Maybe they've done terrible things towards you. But God is a God of grace. And you know what grace is? Grace is undeserved love. And he can give you power. And actually, as you walk and live in a fence, you're being pulled away from God. Somehow God needs to give you the power to forgive that person. And he will. And there's a ministry team available at the end of this service. And if you're someone, maybe it's years You've been walking in a fence and you know your soul is shriveling because of it. Get to see someone. Repent. Ask for strength. Ask for fresh measure of grace. I heard about a bloke who went to preach at a church like this, a large church. And during his message, he's looking over there and he's looking over here. And there's two guys dressed identically and they look identical. And it, but they've both got sour, miserable faces. And at the end of the meeting, he said to the church leader, what was that all about? I thought I was seeing double. He said, oh yeah, that's our two twins. Two identical twins. And 30 years ago, they took offense with each other. And they come to church and won't speak to each other. And sit at opposite sides of the meeting with miserable faces. Who's losing? Who's losing in that scenario? They're the people who are losing. And we need to be bigger than that. We can't be people who are walking around in, with indignation and offense, even if other brothers and sisters do stupid things like James and John did. Let's be people quick to forgive, quick to restore. Let's draw on a well of grace that God wants to give us in every situation. So there you go. In fact, the two favor killers, the two things that would make the fog lift more than anything in our lives are pushing ourselves forward, being the glory seekers, you know, wanting the profile, wanting the prestige, wanting, the, wanting all the credit to go towards when there's only one who deserves the credit in this place. And his name's Jesus. It's a, it's a favor killer. The other thing is walking in offense, being that chipped up, angry, bitter, allowing the stuff other people have done just to draw on wells of unforgiveness. Well, we're not having either of those things in this place, are we? Higher is all about Jesus. It's not about some bands jumping about on stage. It's all about Jesus. It's all for him and through him and because of him. Praise God in Mark chapter 10. That's not the end of the story. As well as these guys who got it spectacularly wrong, there is a guy who got it so right. Let me read a few verses. Mark chapter 10 from verse 46. The very next thing that happens is this. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him. 
and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So here's a true story. This really happened on the streets of Jericho 2,000 years ago. It's all kicking off for Jesus. You know, in Jesus' day, the big stars were, were not pop bands or movie stars. The big stars were communicators, people who could tell a story. And they would gather thousands in amphitheaters. I love that Jesus took the medium of the day and used that as the model for his ministry. You know, that's what we're trying to do. It's just a platform to proclaim the gospel. You know, he told these stories, a, a platform to proclaim the good news. And that's what Jesus did with parables, with storytellers. So the buzzy's going around the nation about this amazing storyteller. It's worth miles, worth walking for miles to hear this guy. And all his stories had a, a God twist. You could take them on two levels. You could just enjoy the story. Or you could get the deep, hidden spiritual meaning and have your life transformed. But Jesus also backed up his stories, his parables, by these amazing miracles. He'd raised the dead. He'd healed the lame. He'd done all these incredible miracles. Whole towns came out. Every, every disease and sickness was healed. And there's this buzz in the nation. Is he the one? Is he the Messiah? It's a religious nation. They all know they're waiting for the Messiah, the Savior of the world to come. And is he the one? So the thousands are flocking with him. And in Mark chapter 10, 46, it says a large crowd. We know that could be 10, 15,000 people. We're journeying with Jesus. And at the side of the road is one of society's expendables. The religious society thought he was there blind from birth and a beggar because of some sin he or someone in his family had committed. Blind beggar, no social security, no safety net, just relying on the generosity of others, shouting out, trying to get a few shekels. And he shouted at the top of his voice as he heard Jesus was passing by, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And all the people around Jesus like, pipe down. You're spoiling it. We want our precious time with the master. And you're spoiling things with all that noise and all that hubbub. But the more they told him to be quiet, the Bible says the louder he shouted. And that spoke to me as I was preparing this message. You know, I want to lead a ministry and I believe the heart of this church is the more people say, pipe down with that message of Jesus. Pipe down with that inappropriate stuff about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to God. Pipe down about Jesus. Yes, we like your good works. We like your social action. We like we're giving jobs to ex-offenders. We like all the care and all the compassion. We like you. But don't give us all that stuff about Jesus being the only one. Sorry, the more you're going to tell me to pipe down on that one, the louder I'm going to shout it. Because he's the only hope of the world. Who else can save? Who else is going to change Coventry? Not a bunch of do-gooders. The only people who are going to see Coventry transformed, I believe, are men and women, passionate prayers, who go out with the good news, relevantly communicate it, serve and sow and keep on serving, in season, out of season, believing that at the proper time, we'll produce a harvest. God, could this be harvest time? So anyway, he shouts all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus says, call him. 
because Jesus is magnetically attracted to isolated, lonely, vulnerable. He's drawn to the least. You can't get away from it. And if you haven't been broken for the poor and the marginalized in Coventry, you need to get on your knees and spend some time with Jesus because you will be. Because he's his heart. And you can't get away from the fact that as he journeyed around Israel, he spent so much time with the, yes, preaching to the masses, but also pouring his lives into gang members and prostitutes and broken people and hurting people and criminals and just rescuing them in the Father's name. Precious thing. And as the guy, and he said to the guy, what do you want me to do for you? At that point, the blind beggar could have lowered his expectations, couldn't he? He could have said, oh, just give me a few shekels, Jesus. I'm a beggar. He could have said, pray a prayer of blessing on me. You're a holy man, I'm a sinner. But he didn't. He asked him the one thing he really needed, didn't he? He said to him, Jesus, I want to see. In the first service, I had a beautiful thing happen. A lady came in and she said, I, I, I was an atheist, but I just felt recently all these thoughts about God. And she said, and I woke up and, and I, said to, I said to God, oh God, if you're really there, would you prove it to me? Please prove it to me. Show yourself to me. And she's praying this prayer, totally non-Christian background. And this lady, she said four times on that day, four times, different people came up to her, two Muslims who'd come to Christ came to her on the streets and said, you know about Jesus. Someone at work tells her about Jesus. Four different people telling her about Jesus. She, she came to this church. So she came to this church. She lives just around the corner. She came to this church and she said, oh God, I just want to know. I want to know if you're really there. And she said, it's like I've got blind eyes. Will you open my eyes? Would you do a miracle of opening my eyes? I can't understand it. Would you open my eyes? And she comes in this church this morning, and I'm preaching about blind Bartimaeus and God opening eyes. And so at the end of the service, you know, like I'm going to do here, I said to people, you know, if you give your life to Christ, I'd love to give you one of these Bibles. Even if you've not if you've got a Bible, come and get one. She says, I've not got a Bible. <laughs> but all this has happened. How amazing is that? How good is God? <laughs> See, God's, God's not just able to open physical eyes. He's able to do an even bigger miracle, open spiritual eyes. Open our eyes so we can see Jesus, see eternity, see the world through his eyes. And on the streets of Jericho, he did this amazing miracle and opened the blind man's eyes. And then the Bible says, Bartimaeus got up and followed Jesus. That's what we're looking for on Friday and Saturday in this place, isn't it? We don't just want some little decision because they've been to an exciting gig. We want young people who follow Jesus, who follow Jesus, follow him to the poor and the lost and the least and follow him into schools and follow him into communities and just go after Jesus. You know, because a Christian isn't primarily someone who comes to church and reads the Bible and prays. That's an, that's an outworking of following Jesus. Of course you'll do those things, but you'll do them because first and foremost, you're following Jesus. Okay, three very quick points I want to leave with you. Three points, honestly, that could completely change your life. Could re if you get these three points from this passage in Mark chapter 10, seriously, you won't know what's hit you. <laughs> the first point is this, the power of passion. Can't you just see passion in that blind man? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, shouting. And the more they try and silence him, the louder he shouts with passion. First and foremost, at the message, we say we're a, a passionate people. 
and I teach about passion. And everybody who joins the message gets a teaching from me. And we say, if you're passionate about these things, you know, passionate about Christ, passionate about those who don't know him, passionate about church and seeing the church become more missional, passionate, passionate about the poor, if you're passionate like that, you'll love it here. If not, please go and get a job somewhere else. And uh, so, so passion is so important to us. And actually, I love it. And I, this is not being big-headed because it's just truth. And it's, it's the only thing, really, that I think chiefly has resulted in our growth and any impact we've been able to have as a charity. Wherever I go, literally, it'll be a very unusual meeting or service or whatever festival or wherever I go, just ordinary down the street, where people don't say to me, wow, you're a passionate guy, aren't you? I'm like, I'm a, I'm just me. No, no, you seem really passionate. Actually, it's high praise because it is not the most intelligent people. It is not the best looking people. It's not the best resourced people, i.e. me. It's the most passionate people who change the world. It always has been, it always will be. How's your passion for Christ this morning? You know, I felt like even coming here on my way down here, I thought, you know, there's bound to be some people in these services who back then, back in the day when they came to Christ, were full-on passionate, were sold out for Jesus, were going for it, all to Jesus, I surrender, giving, serving, and yet the stuff of life has just crushed that passion, quashed that passion. And I want to pray before we finish this service that God would reignite that passion. There'd be a fresh line in the sand. And from here on, it's all out. You showed your great love for us by the ultimate act of passion, dying on the cross for us. And we want to live passionate lives in response to that. Second thing is the power of persistence. Power of persistence. You know, Jesus taught a lot about prayer and he said, and it's true. Some of you don't believe it, but I promise you it's true. Because you feel like God hasn't answered your prayers. It says in the Bible, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. But actually, in the original language, you know, the original language the Bible was written in, what it literally means when Jesus says that is ask and keep on asking, and it'll be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you'll find. Knock and keep on knocking. Wouldn't it be, and the door will be open. Wouldn't it be tragic if we stopped seeking, asking, knocking? Just before we got the answer. Just before the breakthrough. There's something about persistence. You know, Jesus said in one of his most famous parables, the parable of the sower, that some Christians are like seed that falls among thorns. And the cares and worries and riches of this life just choke what God wants to do. It's like they spring up really well at first, and then all that stuff gets in and chokes it so they don't mature. How devastating is that? It could even be that most Christians in Britain, you know, they've sprung up and just before they, they get mature and start to multiply and the seed really spreads and the multiplication takes place, just before that time, the stuff of life, the cares and the worries and the riches of life choke what God wants to do. I don't want that to be my destiny. Because in the same parable, Jesus said, but there are some Christians. It's like the seed falls on good soil. And he describes them as people with a good and a noble heart who persevere to the end. People who demonstrate the power of persistence. Yeah, through all the rubbish that life throws at you. 
clearly sometimes life is very hard and horrible things happen to good people. But the people who keep going, you know, like Billy Graham, whatever it is, 20 years ago, gets Parkinson's disease. And then 10 years ago, he's, he's confined to his house. And three years ago, he's bedridden. But the story of his funeral, you've got to watch it online. It's amazing. Is this man keeping going with his passion through it all. Even like 98 years old, he's still doing these videos that are being watched by billions of people. And his family are gathering around his bed every day. And he's praying and he's reading the word. And he just went the distance. Don't you want to be someone like that? God allows me to live to 99. I want to be red hot at 99. And I want to be welcomed into heaven. Imagine being Billy Graham. Come on. You know, the first few million years just bumping into people. Oh, I came to Christ through your ministry. Oh, I came to Christ. Oh, you know, my mum came to Jesus at your Haringey thing. And here I am. And now I'm involved in missions. And I've done all this. And I mean, there's nothing else more important than that, is there? For the only thing we can take with us is people. Imagine taking some people with us this weekend into eternity. What a prize. What a thing to go for. And you know the fact that you're getting excited about that is because the Spirit of God lives in your heart and he gets us excited about salvation. A sure sign that you're filled with the Spirit is not that you shabba-dabba-doo. You might do that. A sure sign that you're filled with the Spirit is that your heart beats with the things that God's heart beats. Carl Strader said, a sure sign is your heart beats with what his heart beats, souls, souls, souls. And if you're passionate for Jesus and you've kept going to all life's trials, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So the final point, and I wish I was a better preacher because, you know, I've got it right having three points. Every sermon's supposed to have three points, but they're all meant to begin with the same letter. And tragically, my third point doesn't begin with a P. Unless you can spell faith, P-H, like, you know, faith, man, like fat. <laughs> but uh, the third point is the power of faith. Literally the most powerful force in the universe. There's nothing more, more powerful than faith in Jesus Christ. It can change anything, change anything in the moment. It is doing all over the world. It can turn a rampant, thoroughly bad drug dealer into a man of God. It can rescue families. It can save people from hell and lost eternity. As people exert faith in Jesus Christ and he partners with us to do his glorious work. There's nothing more powerful than faith. Jesus said anything is possible for the person who has faith. So Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Well, that's a bit of a funny thing to say, is it not? Because the one who caused Bartimaeus' blind eyes to see was Jesus. He can do that. But there was something about this man, something about how he placed himself before Jesus, something about his faith that resulted in his miracle, wasn't there? We can, I honestly believe, place ourselves in an arena of blessing where the fog comes down and everything changes. And we're walking in the favor of God. We can do that. Good thing to do is come together with God's people. Now, don't come together with God's people all the time. <laughs> Make sure this is like the 15-minute interval in a football match. When you come together, you get refreshed, you get cheered on, you get patched up, you may get the odd slap from the manager, you may get shuffled around the pitch, you have your refreshment, and then you go out 
where the action is, the 45 minutes either side. You know, this is what this is all about. But this is a good place to be. It's an arena of blessing where God can minister. We can draw together from each other's faith. Whatever you do, don't drop in and out of church. Commit yourselves to this body. Commit yourself and see if God doesn't bless you. It's an arena of blessing when God's people come together. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, I'm specially in the midst. And today you can receive your miracle if you reach out to Jesus. And even in healing, especially, fellow, I want to say this in this service, I've found that with healing, sometimes it's hard work. You know, 2,000 years later, it's hard. We have to go and go again. We have to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And some of you had disappointments in this area. Don't give up. This could be the morning of your breakthrough. All over the world, God's doing miracles of healing. There'll be a ministry team here. If you're sick in your body, get prayed for. One thing's for sure, I can guarantee you're not going to get worse because these guys pray for you. And there's every chance you may see your miracle today. As, when, as you come to Jesus, say, would you do this for me? Would you heal my body? Let's believe for some miracles in this place. There's an environment of faith where stuff happens. There's an environment of faith to hear this morning where we can see God do the greatest miracle in the world. The greatest miracle in the world, more than blind eyes opening and, and cancer being healed and AIDS being healed. God can do all those things. God can raise the dead. There's a greater miracle than that. It's when one person gives the life to Christ. And if there's one person in this church this morning who doesn't know Jesus, I'm not going to come all the way from Manchester and not going to give you an opportunity. So get ready, because in a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm not going to make you do anything embarrassing. I'm just going to say, raise your hand. Raise your hand and reach out to God. Reach out and say, here I am. I want you to save me. I want you to forgive me. I want you to give me a fresh start. I want your favor to rest on my life, because I can't get to heaven without that. I can't live a life that counts without that. So in a moment, I want to give you that opportunity. But I also feel like there's people here today, and... When I talked about your passion dying down, when I talked about the thorns, the cares and worries and hassles and pressures and riches of this life choking what God wants to do, it was for you, that word. You knew it. It was for you. It was like, oh, yeah, but I so want to come back. Beautiful story of the prodigal son is as soon as the son who'd gone off and lost the plot, as soon as he turned, the father picture of God comes legging across the fields to him. Honestly, if you just reach out to God and say, oh God, I've lost my passion, I've lost my fire, I come back to you, what you'll find is God comes running back to you. And he reignites. And your first love is ignited again. Let's all stand together, can we? Let's just bow our heads. Can we just have a bit of a holy moment? Jesus is here, promised to be here. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll just kind of illuminate this thing. Show us where we stand. Just speak to us, Lord. And if you don't know Jesus, or you don't even know if you know Jesus, maybe sometime the past you're so far away. In a moment, I just want you to reach your hand out. Raise your hand to God and say, here I am, God. Here I am. I'm here. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow you already people raising hands that's beautiful but if you're yeah also but it's great keep those hands popping up that's it hands popping up around this place that's fantastic 
But also, if you are a Christian and that stuff about I've lost my passion, I've lost my fire, I want to recommit myself, I want this to be aligned, I want to, want to rekindle that old love so that I can just be on fire all the way to seeing him face to face. Would you raise your hands too? That's significant for you. That's it. That's it. You need to give your life to Jesus today for the first time. Or you just want to come right back to him. You want to set your heart on fire with passion. Just raise your hand. It's not about people around you. It's about you and God right now in this moment. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. That's it. Don't forget me, Lord. And he never will. Let your favor rest on me. Even now, let the fog come down. So I know it and those around me know it. All for you, Jesus. Can we pray a prayer all together? Out loud, whether your hands raised or not. It's family business we're doing here, yeah? Let's pray this prayer all together. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Fill me with your spirit and forgive me of every sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you're alive today. Be alive in me, Jesus. And with your help, Lord, I'll serve you for the rest of my days. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus.